Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program tonight. Uh, a little bit of a last-minute change, uh, but, you know, that's that's the nature of live television. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I'm Timothy Harvey. And just after I posted on all of our social media platforms that we were going to be talking about a particular topic, then news broke, uh, and this is this is not twenty minutes old. This news that uh, actress Kirstie Alley has died uh, after a battle with cancer, and this is a surprise. This is a this is something that I don't think anybody knew was going on. So we're going to flip the switch, as it were, and we're going to talk about her career tonight a little bit, and then our topic that we had originally scheduled for tonight, we're going to talk next week. So that's what we do, because it's live TV, and in, in, we'll do it live. So, anyway. And sometimes the news comes when it comes. Yes, and and that has me thinking that at some point, maybe in the evening times, somebody maybe does a little news update every night. So I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to look at that. So anyway, um, those of you who are listening to this show as a podcast, want to give you a shout out. Uh, we have pe- uh, people listening in France, Slovakia uh, showed up on the map today, Thailand and Iran. We have uh, some listeners in Iran. So I uh, want, to, want to say hi to everybody over there. And, of course, the chat is open, and uh, we're live to we're live right now on YouTube, Odyssey, and Facebook like we normally are. And it looks like maybe it's working. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe possibly. Maybe possibly. All right. So, <coughs> Kirstie Alley. From Wichita, Kansas, which is where you're from. That is true. I am from, I used to, uh, I I have a connection to Kirstie Alley. A couple connections to Kirstie Alley, actually. So what, do we want to start there? We want to start with Star Trek II. Uh, We can start there, and because, I mean, the, I have never met Kirstie Alley in person. But I worked for her father. Um, I went to my, in my high school, her sister was my biology teacher and she, this is back when she was married to Parker Stevenson. This is back in the eighties. And she was either friends or friendly with, I can't remember how close she was to Terry McGonigal, who was my high school theater, uh, teacher. And really somebody who inspired in me a love of performing, um, took somebody, little little shout out to Terry here, um, like many a young science fiction fantasy fan um, in the 80s, um, being a geek wasn't cool back then, kids. Um, <laughs> bullied is a thing i'm familiar with um not not particularly horribly or anything like that but right. you know i was we were mocked um there was a t- there was a time kids when the geeks <laughs> did not rule the world and um so very shy very introverted 
um, not a whole lot of self-confidence and <laughs> followed a girl to an audition really is oh. what happened. I had a crush on a girl and, you know, so I auditioned, auditioned for a play. And the thing is, is that I met some really amazing people and a really supportive theater instructor who, and gave me a lot of confidence. And I mean, I really loved being on stage. Um, in college, it was a balancing act between a theater major and an art major. And I was like, well, you know, that art major thing, I can work all the time as a graphic designer. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> made that choice. Um, but the thing is, and I still love, I still love acting, but, um, so Terry's connection with, with Kirstie Alley and Parker Stevenson, whatever the, the depth of their friendship was, she would, the two of them would come and visit Heights High School in Wichita, Kansas, not only because her sister worked there, but she'd also come and speak in front of the theater class. The problem is, is there was more than one theater class. And when she was visiting, I was in her sister's biology class <laughs> every, single every single time. It was, it was, I mean, so I actually never, never actually got to meet her in person. But um, I worked for her father, Buck Alley, um, used to, um, he had a, uh, a company called Buck Alley Lumber. It was a privately owned you, know, you have all these these chain lumber yards now but there's still a lot of individually owned lumber yards and he did one of those big in the construction industry in wichita um and the neighborhood that my we moved into when i was a teenager um was we were relatively early in that development of that neighborhood and uh, as it grew you needed landscaping work well, Buck Alley was the one who was funding a lot of these these homes. And so I ended up being one of the people who did landscaping work for Buck Alley Lumber. And I met Buck in, a couple of times. Um, so, yeah, not like, you know, <laughs> closely worked with him, but I worked for her family. Right. And I talked to Mrs. Boffman, um, who was our, our uh, I can't remember, uh, I can't remember, I think it was Kate, but I'm not sure. Um but their uh, married name was Boffman. And she, of course, every time Kirstie Alley came to visit, she'd be like, my sister's here again. <laughs> <laughs> and Miss Boffman, okay, so Kirstie Alley very famously, because she made it part of, of, of her career, part of her, um, her, her work outside of acting. She had a lot of you know, connections with Weight Watchers and had her own weight loss program at one point. Um, and and don't for a second think that I am I am gonna bash anyone's struggle with weight. I mean this is a this is a real thing and and and, and you know whatever you want to do to be healthy, great. Um, but Mrs. Boffman was very much built like Kirstie Alley was built later in life. Sure. Very broad um, and um, and she carried it extremely well, and Miss Boffin was a joy. She was an absolutely an amazing teacher, and if you're looking, if you were looking for someone to teach your kids the sciences, um, this was a great person to do that. She was an amazing teacher, a very, very, loved, loved taking her classes. Um, but she would sit there and go, she's all thin and svelte, and she's like, she's gonna be the like me. <laughs> and uh, and, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a biology component to some of this, of course. And so 
you know, things run, you know, our builds can run in families. And, and so it was, it was meant to be funny. Um, but of course with the, the later in life, you know, the, with Kirstie's very public, um, dealing with her own feelings about her weight and her health involving that, um, it, it wasn't quite as funny later on, yeah. but then it was. And, and so, I mean, and to some degree, it's like anything else. She was a hometown girl made good. You know, especially if you were if you were somebody involved in the theater departments of of Wichita, Kansas, you know, you looked up looked out there and went, "Hey, it's one of our actors." You know, it's like it's like Christie Alley, Paul Rudd. You know, you could sit there and get kind of proud of the folks who are from your part of the world, right? You right. know, yeah, a little bit of little bit of living vicariously through through their successes and their trials too, because you know, no, those happen in life. Well, it's like it's like Dave says, six degrees of Savick. So that's that's what right. we're that's what we're doing on it. Well, and it's interesting that you know you have you have her the beginning of her career. I mean, if you go all the way back to her appearance on what was it, the dating game or match game or whatever that was, you know, oh and and like no, it's it's Kirsty from from Wichita, and you, you it's. Yeah, everybody's got to come from somewhere, and you don't really think about uh, famous people's origin stories as much, right? So <laughs> you've got oh, and, and there's something about the, there's something about coming from Kansas in the in the public perception, mm, right? Mm -hmm. um, because yeah. of course people don't realize that Kansas is a state that actually has other things other than Dorothy. Um, if you, if you grew up in Kansas, you were very familiar with the t-shirts that, you know, or, or the, all any, any, you, you saw them all the time, especially in the eighties. It's the, you know, you know, screw Dorothy, you know, not, not quite so politely said, um, you know, there, there was always that, that feeling of, of, you know, it's the dust bowl and it's but there's this but it's also you know where superman grew up and and all the, there's there's these pulp culture references with you know kansas is a kansas has hills and water and when my ex-wife when my ex-wife first moved uh from michigan to kansas she was like it's so green here and i'm like <laughs> yeah and it's not it's not because my, my ex-wife is a very very smart lady um but it was just this perception, right? I had the and same so, reaction to upstate New York and New Jersey. Right, yeah. Though they're incredibly forested. Yeah. I mean they're they're lush. And and so the idea of being someone there but there's almost this innocence that comes from the idea, oh, you're from Kansas or Wichita, Kansas. It must be this small place, you know. Wichita <laughs> is the largest city in Kansas. There are what, like I think 500,000 people in Wichita. Um, I mean, it's not the biggest city compared to other places, but it's not a dinky little spot. Right. And trust me, um, it has grown every time I go down to visit my family, but they still live there. Um, it's like, it's bigger. Yeah. I mean, it's, right. it's, it keeps growing. It won't stop. Um, but, you know, there's, so there's this perception. So there's this almost this, um, it becomes almost a a PR thing, right? When someone says, you know, ooh, here's this actor from 
Kansas. You know, this yeah. this innocent, far off land of mystery and flat, you know, desert. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's a social it's it's a social image that that I think actually becomes kind of this this um, thing that gets worked into like the early interviews with folks. It's like, oh, you're from Wichita, Kansas. What was that like? It was like growing up in the town. <laughs> we have roads and everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, uh, you know, the, the idea of the, the perception of the, the small town, midtown, Midwest, all of that, there's, there's something about, there's something about the, the, not necessarily values thing, but, you know, there's the type of person that comes from, you know, Kansas and Missouri and, and, you know, that sort of thing. It's not, it's not the same thing that you expect when you're talking to somebody who's from California, for example, or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's something to be said for this idea of small town values. Although I know, I know plenty of people from small towns who are just horrid, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, it's like, mm, it doesn't necessarily mean things, but there's, there's a, and, and yeah, there is a perception, um, that is, is good and bad for that. I oh. mean, um, <laughs> people I grew up with who were <laughs> wonderful people. I knew some, I, I, there are many, many wonderful people from my childhood and, and teen years Move, that I am moving still on. in touch with. Moving on. And there are other folks yeah. who given the opportunity and there was a staircase. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying. Yeah. <laughs> Dave says the image of that captain's chair spinning around in Star Trek two still takes his breath away. And, and that's, I think for a lot of people, that was the introduction to Kirstie Alley. It wasn't the dating game oh, yeah. or whatever it was. It was Lieutenant Savick in Star Trek two. And the performance that she gives there, a lot of people look at that and you you compare it to Robin Curtis's performance in Star Trek Three, and it comes up short. It's it's there's something missing in Robin Curtis's Savick that you had in in Kirstie's Savick because and and I and I get that this was Leonard Nimoy's decision on how Robin played the character but Savick as as the half Romulan half Vulcan savage child from Helgard Kersey brought a, a layer of emotion and a depth to that character where you know you automatic you knew right from the very beginning that she, there was something different about she's not going to be your typical Spock clone Vulcan straight-laced thing you know when that first little bit in the in the Kobayashi Maru thing you're like oh she's got a temper (laughs) what what is this going to do this is intriguing I'm intrigued I want to know more and I I really I really wish that her relationship with Peter Preston had survived because it's in the book you know, Vonda McIntyre's novelization does does really well in that, you know, taking that whole thing. Because she was Peter's tutor mm-hmm. in the book. And that whole relationship was just gone from the film because, you know, you've got to trim for time and, and whatever else. And even even in the in the 
the broadcast edition of the director's cut where you get some of that put back in there, Peter's relationship with Scotty, all of the stuff with Savick never, never got in there. And I think that well, would have added it's, another it's layer. It's the same thing with three, where if, if, if you read the novelization of Star Trek three mm-hmm. and Savick had been portrayed on screen the way that she, she's portrayed in the novel, um, they're very different characters. Yeah. And and you can definitely see where yeah I mean in fairness to Robin Curtis, um, she's in a bad position and and I don't hate her performance. Uh, she's very much a Vulcan. Yeah. Her performance is exactly what you would expect from a Vulcan, um, but it, in comparison to Kirstie Alley, it definitely comes up short. And that's not not a, in that was Nimoy's decision for how she's going to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean if if it had been the the version in the book, we would have seen a character much closer to what Kirstie Alley portrayed. But in comparison to the two, Kirstie Alley definitely brings a much deeper, um, even without knowing the backstory of the character, which you get so little of that on screen, you get enough of it to uh, to really have that character stand out in a, fi- in a film full of all your Star Trek favorites. You've yeah. got Khan, and you've got Savick, and you're like Savick's part of the crew. Got it, no problem. Yeah. Well, and it, and and you know, with with Chekhov being on the Reliant, you've got to have somebody in that chair, and it and it opens up some opportunity and stuff. And Jr. asks in the in the chat about why she didn't come back for Star Trek Three. And there are various stories that have circulated about among fans and among professionals. My understanding, <clears throat> the, the, the way I understand, if I have this right, the, the conventional wisdom, the, the rumor has always been, the story has always been that she decided that she wanted she wanted more money. Savick's a very popular character. She gets her own action figure. Everybody loves her. The yada, yada, blah. And is going to figure really prominently into Star Trek Three. She wanted more money. That's not exactly what happened. My understanding is that her agent decided that she wanted more money without talking to her. I could have this wrong, but my understanding is that her agent decided, well, she's an up-and-comer, she's very popular, and she does this, and she she needs more money without talking to her about it, and they walked and said, thank you, no, and so she wasn't playing Savick anymore. But my understanding is that it wasn't her decision. She didn't know any of this was going on until she found out it was going on, and then it was too late. She would not be the first actor whose agent, in an attempt to do, giving them complete, you know, giving them benefit of the doubt, there have been agents who have completely intended to do their best by their client, who did not do what was in the best interest of their client. Good intentions or not. Yeah. Well, it's happened a lot, actually. (laughs) And actually... Star Trek has had this happen before, and I didn't know this. 
because there's a book that came out from uh, Eagle Moss not too long ago. It was before Eagle Moss shut down, of course. But they had this whole line of books. They came out with this new book called Star Trek Celebration. Celebration? Is that what it was? Yeah, I got a book. It's by Ben Robinson in, in Spelling. And there's very there are very brief stories about the various different actors that came through Star Trek, including some of the some of the lesser known actors, you know, uh, uh, Laurel Goodwin and 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 you know the the minor characters and whatnot. But there's a story in there about Jeffrey Hunter, who was a movie star, right? He he'd played. Jesus Christ, he was in The Searchers with John Wayne, and, you know, he, he, was, he was an up-and-coming movie star. And he did this pilot for Star Trek playing Captain Pike. And when NBC passed on it, and they said, we'll take another pilot, here's all this money, according to this book, it was Jeffrey Hunter's wife who said... Jeffrey's a movie star. He doesn't need to be doing this TV stuff. And she passed on it on his behalf. Otherwise, Jeffrey Hunter would have been back to play the captain of the Enterprise, and we would have had a completely different show. Oh, yeah. It would have, it would have not been the same. No. Would it have been as good? That's the question. There's a one of the, you know, different trousers of time. There's a... Uh... There's a leg where, yep. see, you don't, doesn't, not everything has to be the multiverse. Sometimes you can go Terry Pratchett and go with the trousers of time. But, um, or the, or uh, who is it? Uh, Professor Elemental? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fun one, too. You know, that's, um, somebody, that's somebody I should get on live from the bunker sometime is Professor Elemental. Oh, I should, I should, let me make, I'm going to make the, him, him and, the, and his, his quote-unquote nemesis, nemesis, the yes. other, the ukulele player, I can't remember his name, um, yeah. the guy who plays the ukulele, um, they are not, well, if you want to have some fun, folks, check out Professor Elemental and his, his rivalry with, with other <laughs> uh, uh, performers. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but he's got, a, he's got a genre, he's got a number of genre songs, so there's a connection here. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think that I think you know what's interesting is is with a show like Strange New Worlds, you can get a hint of what things might have been, but that's a modern take with the modern, you know, the techniques of storytelling and things mm -hmm. like that, and, right. and shooting, and so it wouldn't be the same. I mean, that's it's it's a it's an homage to and and a continuation of that kind of story but it would be a very different show i mean well, spock and, would not be the same character to be fair anson mounts christopher pike is very different from jeffrey hunter's pike they're almost oh, yeah. not even the same character well but the thing is of course we have a one reference point for jeffrey hunter right and the show references why he's acting that way yeah and so, I mean, there's it's a springboard, right, to take it in, in different places. And so, yes, it would have been a very different show. Um, Spock would be very, very different, different, different chief, you know, medical officer. Um, you know, there's so it, it would, would it have had that same impact? That's a really good question. And I, 
I just don't know. It's so hard to tell what how audiences would have reacted to because that's a pilot. Yeah. And when the show goes to full series, it would have changed anyway because that's what happens. You um, There's very few, back in those days, now it's different. You order like a whole season, right? Yeah. Um, for a lot of these things, especially for genre shows um, because if you're going to spend that much money on the pilot, it's like, you know, it's more economical <laughs> we spread that money across the entire season. But back then it was like, you dump, you know, a million dollars. Well, not really. But back then you would not dump a million dollars into a pilot. Um, thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars into a pilot. And then if it didn't go, if, if it didn't pass muster, like the original pilot for Star Trek didn't in the minds of the, of the studio, you know, um, but if it did, you retooled it. Because yeah, you sat the there and went, okay, say, I, okay, this is what we like, this is what we don't like, change this, change that. And now you have a budget for a series length. And of course, in those days, you're looking at 24 episodes, 22, 24 episodes, and that budget has to be spread accordingly. Probably one of the more infamous ones where you had a Roddenberry, a Gene Roddenberry show where that happened was, we, I think we talked about it a little bit last week, was the Quester tapes, where right? you yeah. had Robert, Robert Foxworthy... Is that his name? Robert Robert Foxworth as Quester. And you had, um, oh, he played B.J. Honeycutt. Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name now. Oh, no, so am I. Mike? Um... Mike Farrell. Mike Farrell, thank you. And I knew the Mike part. Everything about that show. You know, the network loved everything about that show. And when they decided to order a series... They wanted to dump everything about that show except Quester. And Rodberry went, nope. And he walked. Because, you know, the relationship between Quester and the human who found him, that was the key to the whole show. And you're going di- to you're gonna get rid of Mike Farrell's character. You kill all of that. So, you know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not unusual for the network to sit there and go, you know, we're going to monkey around with it. But it's also, you know, not not unusual to have your lead cast change. You know, from you know, Star oh, Trek right. is is an example of that in a couple of different two or three places because not just the the original series, but you also had uh, uh, Janeway, Catherine Janeway, because mm-hmm. you had uh, Kate Mulgrew replaced uh, Genevieve Bujold. I think it was Genevieve Bujold. And then you had also, um, uh, over on DS9, the character of Kira Norris exists because Michelle Forbes decided she didn't want to play Roe anymore for a, for a series commitment. So, right. you know, it's, it's these things. And, you know, Cheers, you, know, you get back to Kirstie Alley, Cheers, that... IMDb says that was her breakout role, but we all know we all know better. It was Savick, <clears throat> but you know that was the. Well, that, hold on, hold on. In fairness, I mean, cheer- to audiences of the time. Yes. And okay. Okay, so again, again, folks, you need to cast your mind back to the to the before times. Billy-doo, billy-doo, billy-doo. Where and, and okay, this was the eighties, as as popular eighties and nineties, as popular as. Star Wars and Star Trek films and and Alien and Aliens and all these genre films were as popular as they were, as much as profitable as many of them turned out to be. 
They were also, oddly enough, it seems strange to say this, in the larger landscape of the cinema world of the time, they were genre pictures. Mm -hmm. They were not the big, they were, you know, romantic comedies, buddy cop films, yeah. um, action movies. Those were the the blockbusters of the time. Those are the ones that audiences, you know, really flocked to. And not to knock the audience size of Star Wars um, or Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, um, they, in comparison, a lot of them were smaller pictures. Star yeah. Trek II's budget was not particularly large. No, because it was done by the television division. Right. So, but for so for the vast majority of viewing audiences, Cheers was her breakout role no. because this is back in the network days when there were three channels and PBS if the weather was good, and so you almost had a captive audience. Which, if you had a great show, and and for, I, honestly. I watched a lot of Cheers. I lost interest by the end. I don't think I even saw the final season. Yeah, I think it. I think it ran out of steam probably about midway through the season before the last one. If if I'm if right, because yeah. I didn't watch it. I, I'm I wasn't into sitcoms and and that kind of thing very much. I mean, yes, it's Kirstie Alley. She's Savick. I could watch, but it really wasn't. It wasn't the thing, right? <clears throat> But you're, you know, when when Shelley Long left the show, everybody thought that's the end of Cheers. Show's over because you have that whole, you know, dynamic between her and Ted Danson, the whole Sam and Diane thing, that now is gone because Shelley Long left because she was going to do this. She was going to have a movie career. I seem to recall there was a parody song. It, it, it wasn't Weird Al. A little ditty about Sam and Diane, <laughs> which was, you know, um, the Cheers story to John Mellencamp. Um, I have to see if I can find that. <laughs> what is what is this? Vamp a little bit here. I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at something here over on Odyssey on the Odyssey chat. Okay. Well, is. and again, folks, I mean, this is, we've seen this where, where people leave shows to go off into pursue a movie career. And we've talked about this before, how there's very much a distinction between film and television for a very long time that really is only very recent in American uh, entertainment. This, this blurring of the lines between, you know, the importance of film and the and the day-to-day -day work of television. And some of that just comes... I, I, honestly, I think some of that comes out of the fact that one of the most successful TV... The most successful TV model for a very, very long time was the soap opera. Yeah. And there was this sort of... Soap operas aren't, you know... They aren't serious storytelling. But I'll, I'll tell you this, folks. A lot of those soap operas have been on the air longer than most of us have been alive. Uh, so they're clearly doing something right. I don't. I don't have the interest in watching them, but they're doing something okay. Um, but so that distinction is blurring. But back in that, you know, back in the eighties, um, it was very much a thing. If you were going to go off and do movies, you left TV behind. Mm -hmm. 
and you're also your production schedule um depending on how things were timed you know there were actors who would go off and do films but it, your production schedule for television you know depending on the show yeah you know you had a very narrow window to do that funny you should mention that because today i've run across a discussion of Harrison Ford's appearance in Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, <clears throat> when he played Indiana Jones and he had the beard, right? Right. And it turns out that he was contractually obligated to have the beard because at the same time he was shooting Young Indiana Jones, he was shooting The Fugitive. Oh, sure. yeah. And in mm -hmm. those those early scenes of the flashbacks before the wife gets killed and all that, he's got a beard. And so he was, you know, that was one of those things that, you know, to differentiate in the time, the timeline and the story, you know, the before murder is the beard and after murder, he shaves it off. Right. So when he's shooting young Indiana Jones, that's why Harrison, that's why Indy has a beard in that particular episode about the, about the saxophone is because, is because he was, it's that very same thing, you know. I'm off. I'm off shooting this TV show, but I'm also shooting uh, shooting a movie. You know, Michael J. Fox the same way with Back to the Future, because oh, he was he, doing Family Ties at the same time. Well, and he was doing it back to back in the same day. Yeah, um, it was rather notorious for um, how much that particular shooting schedule was just so draining because he would literally shoot the TV show, and of course, TV show shooting schedules. 12-hour days are pretty standard, Yeah. sometimes longer. And then movie shoots can be, what's your call time? Yeah, right. <laughs> when are you on set? When do you wrap for the day? It can be all over the place. So he was he was working not quite 24 hours. Yeah, it was a nonstop. Well, sometimes he was. But it was not, you know, it wasn't 24 hours day after day after day. But there was a really grueling shooting schedule. And the fact that... He in, in in that time period, the fact that it, it, on neither the TV show nor in the film does he look as exhausted as he was. That's acting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. He's asleep, standing up, and saying his lines. That's incredible <laughs> talent, right there, folks. <laughs> well, and you know, and I th I look back on everything that Kirstie Alley did, and and you know, she did Masquerade, which was the spy show. Which I mm -hmm. thought was rather fun. It was her and Greg Evigan and um, um, oh, I can't remember who played their boss, but she had a she had a talent that I think a lot of people didn't quite rec realize that she had until Cheers. You know, because you know she's doing some smaller stuff and she's you know yeah Star Trek or or whatever. But I, I, I thought her career was just going to just blast off after after Star Trek Two, and like she's she's one to watch, you know she's got she's got the goods, and it didn't really quite go the way I thought it would go. I mean, she did she did some stuff that was recognizable and and successful, you know, the Look Who's Talking movies, mm -hmm. and uh, she did that one with Tim with Tim Allen, um, where they're they're. Oh, what was it? Oh, what was it called? Let me look here real quick. But it was, you know, <coughs> uh, it, it com mostly comedies after that. Um, 
Yeah, and, well, and she was, there stuff... was a period of time where she was kind of hitting that action, uh, the action film thing too, because she was in Runaway with uh, Tom Selleck. Oh, that's uh, right. And G- that's with right. Gene, Gene Simmons, Simmons as the bad guy. Yeah. Um, and that's a film that has not aged well. Um, I'm not sure if you folks have uh, uh, seen it in a while, if you've ever seen it. It was not a particularly big hit. Yeah. Um, it uh, it lost about $2 million at the box office. Um, well, but it had... also had a budget of six million of $8 million. So. Yeah. You also, had, um, you also had her appearance in North and South, uh, book one and book two. Mm-hmm. Um, um, she was in Village of the Damned with Christopher Reeve. Well, and then and then there was Shoot to Kill, which is that one yeah. where she was the the hiking guide, and you've got Sidney Poitier and Tom Berenger uh, mm-hmm. chasing after the bad guys, which also had Andy Robinson in that movie. So you have two Star Trek for richer and for poorer. Thank you, thank you, Mindy. Um, you had. You had Savick and Garrick in that mm-hmm. movie. I won't spoil who's the bad guy in that one, but it's a it's a really good movie. I recommend it. It's it's uh It's a much it's a better film than Runaway. I will <laughs> I will tell you that. Look, but the problem with Runaway is that it is not enough of this of it's not enough of a science fiction film. Yeah. It's supposedly set in the future. It's supposedly got robots that are commonplace and and they're just part of it. But it just never it doesn't have it doesn't have the world building that you really gotta have. And that's the problem with near future science fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jason, yeah. how many times have we seen <laughs> in the future year of nineteen ninety seven? Right. It's like right. hmm. Cyborgs. Well, okay. Well, and it's funny because I was talking to uh, on on Bunker today. I had uh, Serena Strauss. She's got a new book. Her first book, uh, fiction book, is called Reinception, and it's set in the year twenty one twenty six. And the the society has stratified in, into a caste system, but you have in 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 this the technology of the time involves genetic manipulation. Uh, chip, chip implants, and that kind of thing for behavior modification. You know, we're gonna we're gonna get rid of everybody's bad habits. We're gonna get rid of all of the negative, uh, the negative behaviors that that it always you know, destroy ends well. things. It always ends well. But as we're talking, there's so much of this, the stuff that's in this book, that's set a hundred years from now, that's already here. And it's like, well, okay, maybe this is not as so far fetched as you might think it is. So, you know, because, yeah, we've talked about this before. It's so much easier to project a story 500 years from now than it is 50 years from now. Well, and, <clears throat> and the thing is, is that while technology does do these amazing leaps and bounds, there comes a point, I think. You know, there's all this talk about uh, um, uh, Neuralink, right? So Elon mm-hmm. Musk is yeah. chip thing. Um, but there's also all this talk about, well, it gets a lot of press, but there's other companies that have been doing the same thing and are further along. They just don't, they just don't have the profile. And and so however you feel about Musk and 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 anything along those lines... The fact is, is that there are folks out there right now who are trying to come out with ways that if you are crippled, 
you know, you've got a spinal in, spine injury, or you're blind because one of the one of the potential so you know things this could solve is enabling you to see. But the surgery is so complicated mm. and so delicate because, and I, 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 people don't seem to realize this. I keep coming across this like, you know, this is a recurring theme in whatever news stories they see, is that the we don't actually understand a lot about our own brains. Right. We have ideas. We have evidence that this is this part you know relates to this but there's a whole lot we don't know so anytime you stick a bunch of electrodes or wires into somebody's brain it's and and when you get into human tests yeah it's a very complicated thing so it's a cool science fiction idea or a scary one if you're like behavior modification but it's deeply deeply complicated and it's it's so that's a ways off because Cabin in the woods. Cabin in the woods. And you know, it's kind of it's it's funny because uh, there are a number of people, uh, uh, Kirstie Alley, one of them, who have let you know done with Hollywood. I I'm leaving. Don't ever want to come back. You know, uh, she she was. Uh, I think she was in. I listened to a podcast. She had just moved to Florida uh, not too long ago, and I think was f- trying to figure out enclosures for her pets that weren't dogs um ferrets i want to say she had ferrets <clears throat> i'm not sure i can't i that, don't quote me on that i don't i don't think that's right but I, I had ferrets at one point they're fun it was it was that whole idea of of i have to take all of this i have to take all of this apart in my in my old house and build it in my new house at the same time because you know, you've got. What are you right, going to do sure. with them, right? So I remember she was talking about that. But there are a lot of a lot of actors who have decided they're not, they're done with California. They're done with L.A. They're done with Hollywood. They're going to move up to Montana. They're going to move to Florida. They're moving to Texas. And she was very outspoken on social media about a lot of things that have been going on. And you know, <clears throat> it was one of those things where it might. Have hurt her career. I'm not sure. I mean, she was still working. She's still she's still got well, yeah, a couple of things she, that's coming out. She so. worked. She. I mean, it, she. I think there's. She was for a variety of reasons. Some of them. Um, I mean, and it's really ranged quite a bit. There are a lot of actors who have decided that living in L.A. First of all, I've been to L.A. It's a neat city with a lot of cool stuff. It takes forever to get anywhere. I would not live there because. I don't like spending that much time in a car. I used to drive for a living. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do it. Um, and and the thing is that there's just so much... Yeah, the, the, for a long time, and again, we're talking about that same time period, really into the 80s and 90s, Hollywood was the epicenter where if you wanted to do TV or film work, you had to go there. Yeah. That's not the case anymore. It's still a powerhouse, but you don't have to live there. And there's a whole bunch of actors in film and TV, mostly in film because they have more money, who were able to sit there and say, I don't have to live here. I can live someplace quiet. I can live, you know, I, if I, if I want to live in New York, I can live there and I can take the subway. If I want to live in Montana or, or um, you know, New Orleans, and the, move, and the production 
houses because it is very expensive to to work in LA moved out too so she still worked i mean she was she did whether it was her own series because she had her own series a couple of her own yeah, different two, series at various points um and did, she did um film and tv work um i did not see her on the masked singer which was the last thing she did for tv i have not watched a single episode of the masked singer i understand it's a popular show See, I don't see the appeal myself. That's not on but... her. That's not on her uh, list of credits here. The last thing that's on here is from 2020, uh, a show called "You Can't Take My Daughter." Before that, the Goldbergs in 2019. She's got yeah, a. She was. A, she was in the eighth short... episode of the 2022 season of The Masked Singer. So oh, okay, all right, there it is. When that was actually when that was actually self. produced, I don't know. It's under. Um, and... This is this is this this year. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, and and the thing is, is that she also, you know, um, had the because of the success of her career, she was in that position where she could actually make that decision to leave. I mean, there are you and I both know a lot of folks that have um, gone out to because Kansas City has where we do the show. If you're not familiar with it, this is your first episode joining us. Hi, hi. Um, we're based out of Kansas City. Um, and Kansas City, Missouri. We talked about Kansas earlier in the show. There's two different things there, but um, there's a lot of folks. There's a lot of there's a film community here, and there's an acting community here. There's an arts community, and a lot of folks sit there and go, "I'm going to go out to L.A. and I'm going to break into the to the industry." Mm -hmm. And you know, we know folks who've gone out there and been successful, but we know a lot of folks who've gone out there and who've come back, um, or or come gone to a different market. They've gone to Georgia or New Orleans or, uh, you know, how. the because the thing about L.A. and this is what you know. You look at the success that that she had there, and a lot of actors that we know had, and I think it's important to understand how hard it is because in L.A. there's a million of you, yes, and, and just you, like you, and you all look alike. You're, you're, you might be, you can be this beautiful girl from the Midwest and be a talented actor and, and, or a talented writer or a talented director or any of those things, but there's a million of you yes. and you're, and, and whether, and, and you look at what was popular for actresses for a long time. It's like, oh, it's this blonde thing or it's this brunette thing. And it's this, it's this look. Right, the California look, or the or the the girl next door, or whatever it is. Right, and it's it's a it's a cookie cutter thing, and that's the way this stuff works. But the thing is, is for so when she goes out there, and and or you know, and and a lot of other actors who got through were successful. They worked those auditions hard, even if you have connections. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's been a whole lot of things lately about uh, nepo kids. <laughs> you know the the people who are like, yes, my dad is famous, but I've made it on my own talent. It's like, well, you know what? It's entirely possible you did, but yeah, you also had an easier time getting in that door, which is often closed and does not open very wide. And so, um, coming from, I mean, yeah, okay. Her dad, her dad was a lumber guy in in Wichita, Kansas. Okay, you know, successful businessman in 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 Wichita. 
Great. Well, and when it she doesn't when translate she, the same thing. Yeah, when she introduced herself on on Match Game or wherever it was that she was on there on that dating show, she was an interior designer. You know, right. she wasn't in L.A. to be an actor. I mean, I guess maybe she was, but you know that she, she was you know interior designer. Like that's that's such an unusual you know you don't you don't think about their lives in the before times, you know, before they're, before they're established actors, before they're, you know, famous or well-known or popular or successful or whatever. So, well, and, and if, you know, if, 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 if it had been me at that period, the same period in my life that she was doing that. And I, I mean, if, you know, I would have at that age or the same age she was, I would have said it was a book dealer, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, <laughs> Where we were then, um, and and so I mean, she did something that, that I think that is, and it's always a challenge for an actor, right? Every successful actor will, every successful actor who did not have it handed to them, because there are folks who have, yeah. But every yeah. successful actor who had to work for it will tell you that they had been through so many auditions, where the first were, sometimes they would walk in the door and be told no because they're not they were didn't look like who they wanted and that's you know the producers want what they want right right um but it's a, it's it's there are and, and there's some amazing actors who've written some great bios you can pick pick your favorite actor there's probably a bio a biography of them or an autobiography and some of them will tell you that these horrible stories about being rejected again and again and again and again and giving up and the only reason you know who they are is because they went to one last audition right. before they got on the right. bus to head back to, you know, Peoria. Yeah, <laughs> I, had a, I had a thought because you're talking about, you know, Los Angeles being the place. And in the 80s and, and going into the 90s, you also had stuff going up, up in Canada. Mm -hmm. oh, you're, you're, it, you get into your, um, your the, the explosion of cable. Yes. Really opened that up. But it strikes me that in that time period, you had a cabal of performers that were in everything having to do with science fiction. So they were Star Trek, they were Stargate, they were... You know, mutant this is the, X, this is the, this is the, this is the, the version of the word cabal, which does not signify <laughs> a, anything a cohort, negative. The, the word cohort. itself is not a negative no, connotation. There was a cohort of performers that was cabal is fine, I mean, but, yeah, but they kept showing up everywhere. I mean, you know, Marina Sirtis right, over, yeah. you know, John Delancey and, and you know, all these, oh, sure. everybody was, all of these shows were cross pollinating. And meanwhile, here's Kirstie Alley over here doing a bunch of sitcoms and comedy stuff. And she didn't rotate into that. Well, okay, but but there also was a certain amount of that time period is being typecast into that kind of role. And one yes. of the stories that you heard, whatever the truth turns out to be, one of the stories was that Kirstie was afraid of being typecast in science fiction movies because her big break out, outbreak, big outbreak, her big breakout role was a science fiction film. Yeah. And so, and and typecasting is a concern that actors do have. So. Especially for television at the time, it really was this like, oh, you're doing science fiction on television? 
remember because and here's the thing i mean you look at say the x files mm. all right uh david Duchovny. it was shocking shocking to people that he went off and did an hbo series about sex yes that was a shocking thing but then people sat there and go but wait a minute didn't he also do a stint on the red shoe diaries yeah he did that was pre-x-files i think hmm the thing is that they're actors they go where the work is yeah and so but but it was but after that it was part of the reason that he did that was because everyone thought of him as fox Mulder, and the x-files was over <laughs> show had been canceled <laughs> you know um so actors a lot of times really do feel that they are in danger of being typecast so the fact that she was going off and doing comedy and had the chops to do comedy because there are some very fine actors who are not great comedic actors or she was um, she could be very very funny um and uh you know comic timing is tough comedy is hard folks <laughs> yeah it is <clears throat> There's a whole lot of people who think they're funny who are not funny. <laughs> and they have careers. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names. Everybody's got their own taste. They're comedians I just don't like. That's yeah. fine, right? Right. All right, so let's let's do this here for just a moment. This is this was posted to uh Kirsty's uh uh Twitter account. Uh mm -hmm. this is from uh the kids. This is from True and Lily Parker. And it, it announced uh, her death. It's to all our friends far and wide around the world. We're sad to inform you that our incredible, fierce, and loving mother has passed away after a battle with cancer, only recently discovered. And see, and that, that's what gets me, is the fact that this was such a, a, a surprise that, I mean, I just listened to a podcast where she was talking about moving to Florida and all of this stuff that she had planned and all these things. I mean, she had just started this podcast and everything. And now suddenly it's like, wait, what? She's, hang on, what? And, you know, it's such a shock. And I have to wonder if whatever cancer it was had, had been with her for a while and just gone completely undetected until it was just suddenly, oh, hey, here it is. You've got X, oh, X months to live. It definitely could be. It could also be very fast moving, aggressive. Um, our our friend David Berry, who passed away a few years ago, um, uh, died of died of cancer. Longtime smoker, and it wasn't the lung. It wasn't lung cancer that killed him. Yeah. Um, it was um, well. The expectation he was exposed to a lot of asbestos when he was young mm. um, for extended periods of time, and that was one, that was the working theory at the end, as I as I recall. But it was very fast, and it moved very very quickly through him. And they basically spent the the tail end basically trying to get ahead of it, you know, yeah. um, as it as it moved through his body, and and of course we're not able to. And so sometimes it can be incredibly fast and. And and sometimes it yeah it's it's undiscovered for a long time because sometimes it just doesn't you don't have any symptoms until suddenly you do yeah I've got a, and, I've, got a I've got a best friend that's now going through uh, treatment right now uh, through through Mayo um, she had she had something 
I don't even remember what it was that had her had her go to the doctor. Something completely unrelated. It was just this thing, and and let's just go check it out. And oh, by the way, you have stage four lung cancer. Right. Well, excuse me. What? So you know this this takes everybody by surprise because she's she's never been a smoker, and it was just all of a sudden stage four lung cancer. Hold on, you know that's what got Limbaugh. You know, and and it, however much you treat it and aggressive and whatnot, you know, she's sitting there saying the doctors are telling her you treat it, you don't cure it. And I'm like, it's yeah, runaway, unregulated cell growth. I mean, the the again, we're talking about we don't understand. We don't understand the brain, the person. I mean, and there's there's some very there's some very exciting news about treatment, cancer treatment that's coming out. Um, you know, real interesting places where people can take it. But whoever comes up with like the broad spectrum cancer treatment, um, that's a Nobel Prize. That's you know, that's statues and you know. In the history books forever, right? Because it is, it is that it, yeah. it, it, because it can move so quickly, it can cost well, you know somebody, Jay, somebody who's only seventy years old yeah, can suddenly and, be gone. Jr. points out in the chat: Scientology discourages members to use conventional medicine, rely on alternate cures. I'm not sure which. I know she Mostly, had been, but what was? Okay, I'm wondering how so, much she was practicing Scientology. To begin so, with. so she was she was pretty in, involved with with the Scientology Church for a while. I don't know where she was later in life. There, they they see. I don't know skew, enough about it to even. They skew harder against um, uh, psychotherapy and and psychology and and, and psychiatry. And um, this is why I will never be a Scientologist. Among other reasons, is that. I believe very strongly in going to therapy and if you need help to go get a good doctor and mm. take care of your mental health because if you can't take care of your mental health, you're not going to take care of your physical health either. No. Um, and so I don't think it's that much more on the, on the physical side in terms of regular medicine, but it's definitely mental health core health care yeah. that they and have they their own thing for yeah. and they mentioned so. they mentioned that she was she was being treated at the Moffitt Cancer Center so that's that's out of Florida and it's apparently it's considered one of the top uh one of the top uh, cancer heard, hospitals in, I've heard in good Florida things. so yeah so yeah it was a complete a complete shock and surprise Kirstie Alley uh dead at 71 it was that was that was complete I didn't have that on my bingo card this year you know, the 2022 bingo card that I got issued at the beginning of the year <laughs> is this, just at, not. No, at this point, uh, it's just bl fill in the blank as it, as it rolls, oh, yeah, it rolls just, over just, you. Right? And I, honestly, I think that should be the plan for 2023 is just hand me a blank bingo card. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, I'll just... I'll make some. I'll make some guesses. Write stuff in myself, and I'll be as crazy as I think I can be, and see how close I get. I just say every space is a free space, <laughs> and it's just, yep. And the, whatever, and folks, whatever happens. Uh, for our younger audience members, bingo <laughs> is a game. <laughs> uh, it's mostly played in a hall with a bunch of little old ladies at this point, or at least 
that's how it appears in the films and TV. That's yes. that game that you see. Yeah, but somebody yells bingo, that's what they're talking about. And yeah. sometimes is the name of a dog. I am not going to go where I just went. I, I almost, I almost said it, Jason. I almost was pro because I've been programmed from my childhood to follow that up with certain programmed phrases that uh, you. I'm not doing it. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight, folks. Our condolences to the family and friends of Kirsty Alley. We said that's yes. a that's sad news, and um, uh, yeah, it's it's a. <sighs> Excuse me. Oh man, see, it just right out of the blue. It just happens. Right. Oh man, but yeah, I mean, everybody every, of an age, we're losing them all. Yeah. Well, and I think that again, the the reminder here is that when you when you lose these folks, when when these folks who have been part of the entertainment landscape of your life, who have inspired you, have entertained you. These are the folks that you, their body of work survives. No. You can still celebrate them. You you got to experience, if you were in the theater watching Star Trek II, if you were at home watching Cheers, you have those memories. And you can, you know, do it again because these things are still on. Their, their body of work survives and you can still celebrate them by watching the work that they, because that's what, that's what these actors and musicians and performers and writers are doing. They're, they're coming into your home or on the screen in the theater or, or through the music because they want to entertain you. They want to tell a story. They want to give you a message um, and use their skill to do that. And that's, that's, there's good and bad in the entertainment industry but that's something really kind of special when it works, yep. you know, because they they get to share their talent with you and you get to sit there and go, I'm always going to love that scene in the turbo lift with Kirk and mm-hmm. Savick, yep. that dynamic. And, you know, there's this always going to be the, you know, Kirk puts on his glasses <laughs> and yep. Savick goes, Savick gives him that look. Yep. <laughs> it's like the, what, what's happening here? You know, I mean, there's that stuff is that stuff is eternal. That stuff is as long as people are loving Star Trek, that stuff stands. Yep. So, and hopefully, the stuff that we do here, every now and again, we get something right, and and I guess, <coughs> I guess we do because y'all keep coming back. So we appreciate that. Uh, so yeah. we will do this again next week. In the meantime, we do invite you to connect with us on the social medias. And over on Odyssey and Rumble, uh, we're trying to get our numbers up there still. Uh, we're, we're inching along, so connect with us there. <coughs> and then uh, tomorrow, I got we got a special announcement. Tomorrow, which is Tuesday, we're going to have a live from the bunker. Uh, it's a, it's a last-minute thing. Excuse me. Actor Chad Coleman will be our guest. He of the Orville and uh, and other shows, uh, The Walking Dead, and so he's got a new Christmas cool. movie coming out uh, next week. So uh, it was one of those things where he's available this time. So we're going to do a special live from the bunker tomorrow at one p.m. Eastern. We'll blast it out to all on on the socials and uh, and do that. And then of course we'll have uh, our regular bunker on Wednesday. 
um, and then Good Morning Multiverse on Saturday, which will not be a multiverse in the morning. It will be an evening edition on Saturday. So make a note. So anyway, that's uh, that's going to do it for us tonight, folks. Thanks very much for being here. We will be back to do this again next week. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2022, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 